my God, it's right. happening. <laughs> it's, it is really happening. It's all happening. Okay, cool. Well, Alice, welcome back to Snark Notes. For like the first or- time in like a year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. really I feel I feel like bad about I feel like maybe that's my fault <laughs> no I think you know a uh, group effort but uh we're working we're we've made a pact to be diligent about it like if we're gonna bring it back we're gonna actually bring it back so I yeah. think I think good things to come <laughs> yeah I think so um yeah and we're experimenting this is the first time well not the first time but this is the second attempt of the first time recording in different locations. Um, yes. <laughs> we realized that we actually live quite far away. So like me coming up to Maine or you coming up to Boston, there's a simpler way, especially with right, coronavirus. Right. We're all just technology. Yes. Well, they, yeah, uh, this is a great time to bring back the podcast too, because people are going to need the entertainment. We're really doing it. So, yeah, we're here. We're back to bring you the entertainment that you need to get you through the coronavirus quarantine. <laughs> cool. Okay. So today we were going to talk about Educated, which is a book by Tara Westover. Yeah. I don't know why I said that so officially. But... <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Bringing, bringing a little credibility and sophistication to the, to the cast. I like it. Yes. <laughs> Um, so should I just like for peeps who maybe haven't read it, give like a brief summary? Yeah. Okay. So, um, educated, um, is sort of, um, biographical, although I think you would like consider it a memoir, Mm -hmm. um, more than like an autobiography because there is a little, it definitely has the feel more of a novel, um, and like of a story that she's telling you, it feels more like fiction than like a nonfiction autobiography. This is factually step by step what happens to me in my life. Um, so but Tara uh, grew up in like a religious Mormon family in Idaho. Um, and they were like sort of survivalist off like not completely off the grid, but like that was sort of the vibe, right? Like there was a lot of distrust for the government and other people um sort of a belief like that like that they were better off on their own right like a lot of distrust for like the medical industry and um and she, you know she's been fairly open about the fact i think even in the start of the book she has a disclaimer that like this this memoir is not intended to be a story about like the mormon faith or really any organized religion. It's supposed to be just like her own experience. And she she's even talked about, and she talks about it in the book that like, yes, her family was Mormon, but they were not like the standard typical Mormon, even for their town. Like they had a bunch of people that like were like within like the Mormon faith who were sending their kids to school, but like her family in part because of her dad's uh, views on the world and maybe some mental health issues as well. Uh, was like very into like isolating his family, did not trust the government. She did not have a birth certificate um, for like a really long time. She was not sent to public school, just like distrust and a belief that like the end of days was coming and he and his family would be kept safe if they stayed isolated on the mountain in Idaho. Yes. (laughs) I mean, sounds like a solid plan to me. Well, now that coronavirus is coming, it's like, oh, maybe. (laughs) 
feels like it. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it kind of starts like when she's a younger child and she kind of gives some of that backstory. Um, and she identifies like Ruby Ridge, which, um, sort of like a weird incident with a different survivalist type family, um, that for multiple reasons, the government sort of attacked their house. Um, uh, but, uh, anyhow, um, like that, that was kind of something that set her dad off and really kind of pushed him over the edge into like living this really separatist lifestyle. Um, so it kind of, you know, starts in her childhood when that happened. And then, um, you know, moves forward in time as she, uh, you know, doesn't go to school, like, but when other people would be going to school and, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but like kind of moves throughout her life. Right. So that, um, you know, then, um, you know, basically she does sort of end up escaping that lifestyle due to the influence of like, one of her older brothers and uh, just a really big desire to not be in that home environment anymore. She has a different older brother that's abusive to her. Um, and that sort of motivates her to try to like get out and um, teach herself enough like basic math, like writing English, that kind of stuff to get into college. And so she eventually leaves her family's home and goes to BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sort of follows her transition, like, as she sort of learns about the outside world. Um, and then, like, ultimately, like, fully leaves her family. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, and obviously that transition is, like, a big one for her because there's, like, some really basic stuff that she didn't know, like, she didn't know th- that the Holocaust was a thing, or, like, um, there was some stuff like, around, like, hygiene and not washing yeah. hands, um, she wasn't ever, like, going to doctors, when she had strep throat, her dad would have her go yeah. out on the mountain and just, like, open her mouth and, like, face it towards the sun to get vitamin yeah. D, um, yeah, didn't know the ho- about the Holocaust, knew about Europe, but thought it was a country rather than a continent. Yeah. Um, definitely like had a different perspective on, I think Kelly, you mentioned, was it Ruby Ridge? Um, yes. Yeah. And that was interesting because I wasn't personally familiar with Ruby Ridge at all. So I felt like I was kind of just like learning about it in the same way that she was learning about it, where like, I only knew what she knew in portions of the book. So, like, yeah. at the start, it was, like, kind of, like, the reason that kind of validated her dad's belief that, like, the government was, like, evil was going to come in and, like, separate their family and they were all going to die. And then, like, later you found out that, like, really what was happening with R- Ruby Ridge was it was, like, a family that had, like, a lot, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had, like, a lot of, like, guns and the... um the the head of the father uh, family had some mental health issues and they were putting other people at risk and then the government had to come in to kind of intervene and that's when things just kind of went haywire is that like kind of what happened yeah so basically ruby ridge was like the name of the place where the weaver family lived so this guy randy weaver who was like the husband and the father i think he had like an arrest warrant um for firearms charges he like illegally had some like a lot of weapons 
um, that he was like most likely holding on the property. Um, and he like failed to appear um, in court. Yeah, the, I think it was like, it was sort of a misunderstanding maybe on both sides yeah. um, where like maybe like the FBI and those people also sort of like overdid it and like thought that he was like this terrorist that was like stockpiling weapons to like attack people. And that might also not have been true. So then they kind of like came in onto his property and um, somebody shot his wife. Like the FBI shot Randy Weaver's wife with like a sniper, mm-hmm. um, and then, then they were kind of like it was like this eleven day standoff where like the FBI was surrounding their house and they wouldn't come out, and um, you know it was like sort of a whole back and forth. So um, obviously, like somebody like Tara Westover's dad, who already is like very skeptical of the government, thinks that they're trying to do things to control us. Um, you know, is going to see an event like that and be like, they're all like, they're coming after all of us. They want our weapons. They, you know, don't want us to be able to like, live, like, you know, and like the Weaver kids were like, same deal, homeschooled, yeah. like really religious. So, um, yeah, it, it was like a lot of the same feelings, but like watching an event like that would make someone who is already skeptical of the wider world and its motives would drive them you know, to the extreme of like, I've got to get my family out. I don't want my kids to go to school. I don't want them to go to the doctor. Like we're better off without all of that stuff because those people are trying to harm us and trying to, you know, hurt us. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is interesting because Tara is the youngest of like six or seven uh, children. And she kind of mentions how, her dad became more kind of fanatical like as time went on so like she even had a very different like childhood experience than some of her older siblings who'd been allowed to go to school for a couple of years and I think yeah there was something about Ruby Ridge that really was like the turning point and became such a part of like her dad's view of the world or just like confirming his like view of the world that like and was just like so much a part of family lore that she even talks about how like, it was like her first memory was a false memory. It was like visualizing the attack at Ruby Ridge and thinking it had happened to her, even though she knew it hadn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really yeah. fascinating book. I honestly, I couldn't, it was one of those books that I couldn't put down. I think I read it in less than 24 hours, even though I was like up in Vermont with friends and we were all just like <laughs> hanging out and I was still just like reading this book. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. I think like one of the interesting uh, things to me about it was it, it sort of one of the central themes is the nature versus nurture thing because I mean like the basic premise of the book is you have this girl that like didn't go to school right uh, they vaguely claim she was homeschooled but like it doesn't really sound like they did any sort of like formal homeschooling um they mostly like worked for their dad um, and did a lot of like odd jobs and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so like you have this girl who's basically like completely unschooled in the traditional sense um that then now like you know applies to college goes to BYU goes to Cambridge and is now like completely the opposite right like she's now like the east coast you know liberal bubble like overeducated, lots of degrees person that um you know like like she went completely in the opposite direction 
Um, and it's, it's just interesting, like, I guess, number one to think about, like, how true is that narrative, right? Like, that's sort of the narrative she tells you in the story. But also, as you're, like, looking at it and reading it, you realize, like, that can't be entirely true. Like, someone had to have taught her how to read, right? Like, some like, they had to have access to, like, certain information. She had family, um, you know, like, grandparents and stuff that were, that they occasionally saw that lived outside of this, you know, sort of bubble that their father tried to create for them. And then, like, you know, like, so in some ways that was true, but, like, in some ways she was able to get out of that. So, yeah, like, was that, like, I don't know how much of that was just, like, her natural, like, you know, she naturally really intelligent and she had this desire to learn and that's what helped her burst out of that bubble or, you know, like, did her dad sort of instill in all of them this, like, desire to do what they wanted and follow what they thought was right, no matter what everyone else said, that sort of made her go that route, like, yeah. I don't know. So I actually, I listened to an interview with her where someone kind of asked a similar question where they were like, obviously like there were parts of growing up that were very difficult with your family, but like, what are the traits that you really value that you got from your parents? And she actually talked about um, that like drive to be self-educated, like her father for all that he didn't trust public education. Um, he had kind of like this general, um, view of the world where it's like oh you can learn anything that you want to learn and i think he yeah. would then if for himself he'd probably have that view and then for his like family it would be like maybe more of a restrictive one where it's like you can learn anything that you want to that i permit <laughs> but like there yeah. was i think within that family that like you can spend your free time learning about what you want to learn about but it's interesting because not everyone went that direction. And so like, obviously she became very educated. She has, I think two other siblings that also ended up getting not only like uh, graduating from college, but going on and getting like master's degrees. So it's like kind of almost an even, even split. And I think some of that is probably who is naturally inclined to like learn and is kind of like that natural student academic, like curious person as well as circumstance. Cause it was interesting. like even throughout at the beginning stage of the books, it didn't feel like she was that kid that like really wanted to learn, you know, like she was like very yeah. happy to be outside and like living her life with her siblings. And like her grandmother gave her an opportunity to go to Arizona with her and go to school. And she decided not to. And it was really only as she became like a teenager and some of her older siblings who had gone and gotten schooling kind of like, were able to kind of push her in that direction in those like kind of initial steps. And then I think once she started taking those initial steps, like that natural inclination to be a student kind of like took over, but you didn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but that's kind of the vibe I got that like initially it wasn't like, she wasn't like that kid that was just like, all I want to do is read. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I think I, the other thing that's sort of inextricable or, you know, you can't, peel it away from the situation is her brother um she had a brother that was like very like both sort of emotionally and physically abusive to her i think she um, sean in the book yeah not his real name in real life um but yeah so sean is like very um and like he is like significantly older than her so there's like a period when she's very young where he's not in the house and then he sort of moves back in and at first he kind of like draws her in by 
you know, doing stuff with her or like taking her horseback riding and stuff. And then he sort of slowly like becomes really emotionally manipulative, um, you know, and it's something that she sees really clearly in how he treats um, some girlfriends that he has along the way. He can be really like physically abusive to Tara. There are some instances where he like, like beats her up or hits her or yeah. does, you know, certain things. Um, and I think that, you know, in a way, if Sean hadn't been in the house and in her life, you know, there is this question of like, would she have been as motivated to leave, right? Because like, you would have felt safer and it, you wouldn't have had this, you know, like he was in a way a huge motivation to get out of the house and to not be in that place and in that world anymore. Yeah. That's like, you know, going to college means you would get away from him, right? In a way that like, if she just kind of, you know, stays with her parents' lifestyle, like, she will probably be in the same town, marry someone, you know, from that same area of the same faith. Like, you know, her, didn't her sister end up like living like in a house, like on her parents' property or something like yeah, that? Definitely like in the same town. Um, no, I think that's yeah. really true. It's kind of like, I think anytime you're in a dysfunctional relationship or a dysfunctional family, it's very easy to be kind of like the frog in the melting pot or like in the boiling pot of water. You know, that thing where it's like, yeah. put a frog in a pot of water and if you just like in i've never slowly done this no frogs were harmed in the making of this podcast <laughs> but like if you just like slowly gradually like ratchet up the temperature like the frog does not realize that he's boiling alive yeah. um, and so like i think certain dynamics in her family she was just so used to and just like it was yeah. just so established and maybe they were getting slightly worse over time but like it wasn't so different from like how she grew like those initial years that it was, it, you know, something that prompted her to be like, Oh, I have to get out. I have to find this escape. And I do think Sean was kind of like that disruptive force that like you were no longer dealing just with a frog in a boiling pot of water situation. It was, this is a huge thing. Um, I have love for my brother. I think he has love for me, but it's not healthy. It's very abusive. Um, and, maybe I don't deserve this. And I say maybe because absolutely she didn't deserve it, but it's hard when yeah. you're in a family and people that you do feel love there and you're you're trying to be like, why is this happening? Am I doing something wrong? So initially I think she was framing it as a question, um, even though it was like a certainty that absolutely she didn't deserve this abuse, but it's kind of started kind of that process of questioning and that process of being, as you kind of said, like looking for that escape through education. Right. Yeah. And then I think that that's ultimately too that sort of family dynamic. There was like a lot of crazy shit that happened in her family. Um, one thing uh, that we read this book in my book club. And one thing my friend said was she was like, I'm concerned by the number of like head injuries that this family sustained. Yes without any medical intervention. Um, but there was like a lot of sort of like, yeah, like, like these sort of like crazy, like they would have a car crash and no one would go to the hospital and get any, you know, like um, medical attention or like, you know, they, they it would have these fights or these like negative interactions and it was just like that was sort of the norm. And so I think, too, that's part of what, you know, like once you live outside of that for a while and once you realize like, oh, that's not 
you know, she talks a little bit about that when she first goes away to college and starts living with other people. Like, she thinks it's completely normal not to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Like, yeah. why would you bother to do that? You're not that dirty. Like, it, you know, like, and she starts to realize, like, oh, this isn't how other people live. Like, other people you know, like have a toothache and get their tooth pulled and taken care of. Like they don't just like live with the pain, like until they can't even like study and do their work anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's like she's once she realizes that that behavior is dysfunctional and like whether she would label it that herself or not, you know, is maybe another thing. But like once you realize like, oh, not everyone lives this way and there's like an alternative to this. Um, you know, that's made me more comfortable and makes me feel more safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be really hard to go back to that and transition back to that. And like, even though she still loved her family and like a part of her, um, you know, at the end, there's sort of this scene where her parents come to visit her at Harvard and her dad like tries to give her some weird Mormon blessing thing to be like, this is your last chance basically to like come back with us and come back to us or we're done with you. And, like, she, like, a part of her really wants to take it and, like, feels like that would almost be the easiest way out, right? Like, that's who she's supposed to be and that's what she's supposed to do. Yes. Um, but, like, I think once you've lived outside of it and realized, like, it doesn't have to be like this and, like, you know, you start to recognize that your family is dysfunctional, that, like, there's no going back to that. Like, if you have an alternative, like... You, there's just no option to be like, well, I'm going to choose this anyways, um, you know, in a way that like, then some of her siblings never really got a chance to live outside of it. So they just kind of stay within that world, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, so one of the interviews I was like uh, watching with her, she said that like the whole book was really about what do you do when uh, you realize that like what you owe your family or what you think you owe your family is in conflict with what you owe yourself. Um, Which I think is, yeah, I think that's what makes this such a heartbreaking book to read because so much of her identity, so much of her self-worth was like tied up in her family. And that makes total sense. I think we all kind of get a sense of like, who we are and what we value and are we a good person even like from our parents, from our siblings. Um, And obviously for her, that was even more so because until age 16, 17, when she went off to college, this was her whole entire world. She barely even went into town until maybe age like 12 or 13. Um, And so there's something very heartbreaking about the book Um, I think it's like, not just about like when I, when I first heard about this book, I thought it was going to be more about like education in terms of like that ivory tower of academia. And obviously there's a component of this. She goes to BYU, she goes to Cambridge, she ends up at Harvard, but it's really more about like education. I think more generally in terms of like education and getting outside of your own narrow little bubble to like see, as you said, kind of like alternate perspectives, alternate worlds, alternate ways of like living, um, and like keeping yourself in like that open-minded place, even if it means closing doors to certain things that were really important to you at one time. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, it, and you know, something she's talked about in other interviews is like when people ask her, you know, obviously in our current political climate, you know, there's this sort of 
blatant dichotomy of like you know people on the left who you know think one thing and then people on the right who think a completely different thing and sometimes that can feel pretty geographical right like Mm -hmm. you know people on the coasts that live in big cities you know um and you know are you know more traditionally educated like in the academic sense and then like people you know like her family living in middle america um and maybe more rural settings um and you know like more and more of those people live in two different americas right like yeah. two very different um places and like how do we you know like bridge the gaps and it's like interesting you know because even you know like she's not really able to do that right like she doesn't speak with her parents and a lot of her family anymore that have kind of stayed there and you know followed in her father's like footsteps and um you know like so how you know it if that's her own family and it's like very like black and white like the two two sides can't meet like how are not to be not to be depressing but like yeah. how are any of us supposed to do that if that's you know a challenge for her um but I also think it's really interesting um you know a lot of times like memoirs or biographies are written like like this book would have been a lot easier for her to write you know 20 30 50 years from now when her parents are gone and you know maybe a lot of more of her siblings and her family has passed away and like she's had a lot of time and distance from that but like one interesting component is like all of the people in this book are still alive um and like out there and like functioning and um like so yeah her brother Sean um who is the one that's abusive and then her um both of her parents her mother and father and then her sister um they all have pseudonyms in the book I'm assuming because like legally they wouldn't have agreed to be in her like you know I know for a fact that both the parents and Sean are pseudonyms I'm not sure about the sister but it definitely wouldn't surprise me I'm pretty sure because I got real creepy. And so her her mom and her sister, her mom really like started this essential oils company. Yeah. That she then sold to her husband for unclear reasons. Um, but the the whole family is involved and like runs it. And um, one of the crazy things apart about this book, because they start off so isolated and then they have like the success with this essential oils. So they're now in this weird position where I wouldn't call them mainstream, but like they're kind of benefiting from all the people that they always kind of despised. It's this weird, yeah. it's, yeah, it's the whole book is fascinating. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you were going to say you were being creepy. <laughs> oh yeah. Like you can find them all on Facebook yeah. and like, you can actually also watch YouTube videos of her mom and her sister talking to you about how to use essential oils. Um, and it's just like a really odd you know, like it, it's the book is very much like it feels like a story. It doesn't, I don't know, like it almost doesn't feel real. And then you like go online and like watch this YouTube video of them and you're like, oh yeah, they're like real people that are just like out there. And they obviously very like adamantly don't agree with her version of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also something, you know, throughout the book, like she makes a lot of references to that, right? Like we mentioned briefly earlier, like she has a lot of times where she's like, this is my memory of it, but I know that it might be false. Or I know that 
you know, other people remember it differently or, um, you know, like, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite parts of the way she approached writing this memoir is like, obviously she's not in contact with like half of her family, but she is in contact with the other half. So like there were certain events that she'd have very clear memories of. Like there was one where one of her brothers, uh, like leg was basically on fire. And it was like, yeah. how do we, how did we put it out? What was like, kind of, did we go to the hospital? What was the order of operations? Who did what? Um, and it sounded like everyone she talked to had a slightly different, like remembering, but rather than papering over all that and being like, this is definitively what happened. She, like, she's a historian by trade. That's actually what she ended up studying. And I think she was able to bring that lens to certain events and be like, this are this is what I remember. This is what my like brother remembers. This is what my other brother remembers. We still don't know this. Um, in a way that I yeah. found really refreshing and made me trust her narrative more than if it had just been like a definitive like, yes, this is what happened. Right. Yeah. Like sort of that recognition, and maybe that comes from yeah, like growing up in a family like that, or now yeah. having, you know, had sort of this break with her family where she you know, is really able to recognize, like, I see things one way, but I know they see it a completely different way. Um, You know, and like, whether or not you want to be like, oh, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, like, you know, maybe not in the middle, but like, the truth has to be some sort of combination of all of these things. Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, it's definitely, um, it was interesting. It makes me think, so my mom also writes, Um, My mom has, like, written books about her own mother, and that's one thing that she always, she calls it, like, creative nonfiction, because she's, like, it's, it is in some ways, you know, biographical, but it's not, it's impossible to be 100% factual, and everyone will remember things differently, and, like, every relative that she reaches out to and talks to is, like, no, this happened, no, actually, this happened, I remember it this way so like at some point as an author you just have to make a decision to you know like go with one narrative right or to you know present it in a certain way Mm -hmm. um you know but then in doing so you know then you're yeah opening yourself up to like criticism of like why did you choose to tell it that way Mm -hmm. and I think you know Tara's pretty clear like this is her this is her story, right? It's not necessarily the story of her family. And I think that that's why she's so uh, diligent about putting even like that disclaimer at the beginning about like, this isn't about all Mormons. And like, I don't want you to take this as a commentary on the Mormon religion. Um, You know, like it's very specific to her and her own story. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why that's so important to her. She doesn't want, you know, like the overreach to happen where people are like all Mormons are like this or all, you know, like people in Idaho are like this or whatever. So no, absolutely. Wait, has, um, has your mom read educated? Yes. Yeah, she did. <laughs> what did, what did she think? Um, I think she enjoyed it. I think, um, you know, obviously like there, um, I mean, I think it she felt like it was a very similar um you know like writing style to her own writing style there's sort of like a greediness and like a realness um about like you know like the events 
that are described, um, you know, and the things that go on in her family. Um, yeah. I think she definitely was like what one of the things that I had mentioned, right? Like, right, like takes a lot of bravery to write the story now. Like she was like, I can't imagine having written these stories when about my mom, if my mom was alive, like, you know, so like, um, you know, and that like that distance of, you know, my grandmother has been gone now for a really long time, like 35 plus years. So, you know, like that distance has allowed my mom to do a lot of reflecting and a lot of, um, you know, the writing has like come from that. So she was like, you know, sort of just commenting on how impressive it is to be able to write something like this uh, without that sort of distance and, you know, with the knowledge that, like, you know, Tara's family that she doesn't talk to and that she doesn't, you know, have a relationship with anymore might read it or will hear about it for sure mm-hmm. and is going to have, you know, very strong feelings or opinions about um <laughs> what she has to say no absolutely Uh, like obviously like it's pretty clear in the book that those relationships unfortunately are like kind of at a place of no return but if they weren't already this this book is just like an an additional nail in that coffin um no that's interesting no i could definitely see it being like a similar style to like your mom's writing which is so great i loved having her on the podcast a little while ago um, yeah. And then even just like that, that uh, situation of having a parent who is struggling with like mental health, like is like yeah. kind of a common theme to what your mom has written about. So that's why I was curious to hear. Yeah, well, and I think that that's, um, you know, and that's one thing we haven't really touched on yet, but there's a point like when Tara goes to BYU, when she sort of starts to learn I don't think that she really knew that mental illness was even a thing uh, necessarily uh, when she was growing up, you know, before she left her home and her family. Um, And then she goes to college and sort of like becomes aware of it. Um, And like, I think it's bipolar disorder in particular that when she starts to hear about that and hear like what sort of the symptoms are and, um, you know, the behaviors of people um, with that disorder, she was like, oh, that's my dad. Yeah. you know, and sort of, it was almost like in a way having that knowledge was like comforting to her because it was like there was a reason or an explanation like in this new outside world that felt more safe to her maybe like that there was an explanation for her father was like also really comforting and she sort of talked about how she almost becomes obsessed with it and obsessed with like talking about it but on the flip side of that then there's this idea that like not every you know obviously not every person with bipolar disorder behaves the way her father did so yeah um, but also other people with bipolar uh, disorder like will seek out medical help not everyone but like right (laughs) so obviously there was that situation I think I mean that makes total sense I, I mean like when you're given kind of like a framework to understand someone's behavior, especially one that like has been confusing to you for some time. It kind of feels like you have that like key that unlocks, you know, like uh, unlocks the mechanisms behind how they work and how they operate. And even just knowing that like other people out there have this and so that there might be other people with parents that have had this, obviously not in the same, you know, not the same family situation identically to what she has, has to be like a comforting feeling of, oh, I'm not alone. And also like, 
it's also kind of heartbreaking because it's like, oh, there's an alternative path. You know, like if if yeah. her father had recognized that like maybe he wasn't in the best place um, and that like he, you know, if he'd, if he'd sought help, which obviously he never would, it's just is so antithetical to who he is. But if he'd thought, if he'd sought like help from like a professional and been able to like mitigate some of this and maybe gone on medication, but at the very least like sought out therapy, like, there's an alternative world uh, where, you know, her family situation just could have been so much different. Right. And I think that's also, you know, part of why some of her older siblings remember things slightly differently. Like she, as a, as I think she's the youngest, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. So like as the youngest, like she sort of comes up, you know, only in this time where, you know, they've moved kind of completely off the grid and like they don't go to school anymore. And like, she doesn't have a birth certificate and all of that sort of stuff. Like she really seems to have grown up like in the depths of her father, um, you know, sort of experiencing these mental health issues that he's not dealing with. And like, her siblings seem to have some memories from before that that are like more positive when maybe things were more stable inside the house and things were more normal. Um, you know, and that that would sort of impact and create a difference in how you view the family and what your memories are, right? Because if you have these memories of times when things were better and things were different, you know, and then things go a little bit wrong, you still at least have you know, a different view of who your father is or what he can be like, mm -hmm. as opposed to Tara, who like only maybe sort of has these negative, um, you know, memories or interactions or when things were sort of like weird and unstable. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so that that would also kind of naturally, you know, create like two different, you know, versions of what happened, if you will. No, absolutely. Um, um, can we talk about her relationship with her mom for a little? Because like I found that really heartbreaking yeah. as well yeah because like her her dad is very bought in obviously to like his way of life and his way of viewing the world and he's a very strong personality and i think always has been like there's definitely like a cult of personality around him not only with the family but also he ends up kind of uh, amassing some followers as well and even with like the essential oils um but like her mom is in this unique position where I think she believes and is like bought into some of the things that her husband, the father is like preaching about, but also you definitely see glimmers of her, of the mother, like recognizing that it isn't safe. It isn't healthy. And especially I think in relationship to like, uh, some of the things, uh, Tara has to go through with Sean, or I remember there was like one moment where, the mother was so firmly on Tara's side and was like, I'm going to talk to yeah. your father. And then immediately afterwards was like, no, like, you're, no, Tara, you're wrong. Your father is correct. And there's just something yeah. that, that I think is an even more devastating relationship because like you see that glimmers of like potential and that glimmer of understanding and that ability potentially to like fight for change and it not happening or it not materializing, even though the mother does see that something is not right, just like broke my heart. Yeah. Well, and I think it's almost, in her own way, it's like a survival mechanism, right? Like totally. to acknowledge and to admit 
that something is wrong, um, you know, like then that has to be dealt with. And then you have to sort of question, you know, your own, like mom has to be like, well, is my own relationship normal? Is it safe? Is it, you know, is it worth rocking the boat? You know, because what will happen when I rock the boat? Will it change anything or will it just make things like worse for like an acute amount of time? And is it easier just to be like, Tara, stop making waves. Why are you doing this? Yeah, right. Exactly. So I think, um, you know, and that the other interesting piece to me, like along with the relationship with the mother was like the relationship with her sister who like, she really doesn't talk a lot about for like the majority of the book. Yeah. At least the front half. Um, and then sort of at the end, it's like, they both have this realization, um, that Sean, you know, first Sean was abusive to the older sister and then to Tara, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they're both like, oh, wait, we went through the same thing. Um, you know, not at the same time. And like, I think in some ways the sister is like, if I had spoken up, you know, like, I think she says something like, oh no, he did it to you too. Yeah. And like, if I had spoken up, like maybe it could have prevented it. Um, but I think also like, and I think that's when they kind of get the mom involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's like, yeah, it's like this idea that like, in order to protect the family unit, like we can't accept that anything is wrong. Right. And that like, if we do, then that, you know, is a potential threat to the family as a whole. Yeah. Um, well, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the three women in the family, you know, that have to kind right. of suck it up you know and like live with yeah. the established world order and you're right like with the sister it's a journey that very much mirrors the mom where she yeah. is like open and talking with Tara and they're on the same page and then she has a conversation with her father and she's like Tara why are you saying all these things and Tara yeah. is like left on her own but the yeah of course it's the women that are given and like dealt like a shitty right. hand and are forced to like smile and keep things, you know, smooth and not rock the boat for either the father or the brother who are creating these, you know, at best unhealthy, at worst abusive circumstances for the entire family. Right. And I mean, I think it's also like, there's something comforting in like, like, it's almost like an easy way out, right? Like confronting the idea that, you know, like you have a son that's abusing your daughters is upsetting. It's difficult. It's something that's like going to take emotional processing and like emotional work. That is a lot. And like, it, it's almost like, it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's understandable, but like, I think it's a natural human reaction. If someone offers you the out of like, totally. you know, like, like the religious out of like, you know, someone has possessed Tara, like the devil, you know, and like, she's, you know, just saying these things to hurt us. Like, you know, like if given the option to not have to confront that and not have to go through that sort of like emotional trauma of processing those things. That you can be welcomed back into the fold. And there's an additional component to this, that not only are you welcomed back into the fold, but because now you are on their side against Tara. There's almost, or Tara, there's almost that additional like bonding of like, I don't want to say like a common enemy, but like a common point of concern yeah. that has like, and like you're, the, you're the good daughter. Now. Yeah, you're the good daughter. And like, you're getting that love and affirmation at a point in time where like you were feeling very unstable, you know, and like untethered and your whole world was maybe crumbling apart. But then your parents are not only welcoming you back, but are, you are like on the front lines with them. I get it, yeah. you know, like it's heartbreaking, but especially when you think about the fact that like, this is their world, 
it makes total yeah. sense. Um, well, and I think it was really rem reminiscent to me of um, the Duggar family, which I don't know if people are familiar with the, I don't fucking even know how many kids it is now. It was first, <laughs> it was like 16 kids and counting. Then we were up to like 19. And I don't know what number we stopped at. But like, basically, they had a really unfortunate, like, situation where the oldest brother, Josh, was um, sexually abusing some of his younger sisters. Yeah. And as it came out, there was a lot of, like, support for Josh. And, like, he went to therapy and they sort of, like, dealt with him. But there was, like, no recognition of the trauma that the sisters would have gone through and, like, the fact that they would need help. And there was no, like, I don't know. Like, it was almost like they wanted to avoid saying that he had done anything wrong because then that would imply that their whole way of life was wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, and in a way, like, I don't really have a ton of sympathy for Josh Duggar, but, like, like he grew up in this weird system where, like, you know, like, you're not allowed to, like, dance or even, like, you know, hug each other before you're married. And, like, there's obviously no sexual education. And, like, so, like, if you already maybe sort of, like, have, like, in the normal world would have, like, had some weird uh, sexual desires that, like, would have need to have been dealt with. Now you're in this, like, extremely oppressed mm -hmm. world where, like, you know, like, that's not going to be allowed to be dealt with at all. So, like, do you obviously dealt with it in an extremely inappropriate way? But it was, like, if we acknowledge that the daughters, like, need help and have been hurt in any way, then that's acknowledging that our whole system is incorrect, right? And, like, all of our beliefs and practices are at risk. Yeah. So we just have to, reject that notion on all levels because we don't want it to like threaten our way of life in any way and I think that this is a really similar thing where like to acknowledge that Sean is an asshole is like <laughs> to acknowledge that their whole way of life is like maybe kind of fucked up and yeah. like you know would require an overhaul of that system so no absolutely yeah. i think it's also interesting like obviously we've been talking about this in the context of religion but i think it's worth acknowledging that like this sort of family dynamic can happen even without religion but that when you yeah. add a religious component to it it often gets stronger because yeah. not only are you talking on behalf of like your own beliefs or your own way of viewing the world, but now you have like scripture or like even just this idea of God backing you up and like giving you kind of like, this is the righteous way. This is the path. Other people don't understand it, but they're not going to be saved. That just takes this dynamic that really can exist in any family, in any community, in any relationship and like puts it into a place of hyperdrive where it's, mm. it becomes even harder to kind of question or get away from. Right. Well, and I think, um, so I read at the same time or in the same time frame as Educated, um, a book called Unfollowed by Megan Phelps Roper, who um, grew up as a member of the Westboro Baptist Church, which is just like a terrible, terrible group of people. Mm -hmm. um, so um, and she actually has since like left the church and no longer has contact with her family that are still in it. Um and, like, for people that don't know, Westboro Baptist Church is, like, famous for um, terrible signs that they use to protest uh, uh, LGBTQ people um, going to, like, soldiers' funerals and apparently protesting a, the war. I don't really know what they think they're protesting when they do that. Um, mm -hmm. But so in her memoir, 
it it was really interesting because it was like a completely different approach. Um, like all of the kids within the Westboro Baptist Church went to public school. Um, they all are actually like really well educated. They're all like most of them are lawyers. Um, you know, like so like went to college, went to law school. Um, you know, like very, in some ways, much more integrated into normal society um, than Tara's family was, but then also have this weird thing where like, they're they're doing it to like, be able to uphold their own beliefs, right? And be able to defend their own beliefs. And in a way, it was like that approach kept Megan in the fold longer than, you know, Tara was because, um, you know, it was like she had access to the outside world. And then you know, her family was being like, and now that now you can see how bad they are, you can see how evil they are, right? And they're even like their justification and their reason for like doing all of the protesting and holding up the signs, telling people that God hates them was like, like with scripture, right? And was like, oh well, you know, like we're doing that because we care about our neighbors and we love our neighbors, and if we love them, it's our duty to tell them that they're sinning and to try to save their souls, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, that's like a very like problematic way to think of it and that's not you know showing care for someone or concern for someone or loving someone but like that was the thought process and the justification um and i think like interestingly one thing that tara and megan have in common that they talk about now that they've left those groups is that like the only thing or the main thing that helped them escape and get out of that was people that were like willing to hear them out and give them a chance um you know, and like not just dismiss them and be like, you're crazy yeah. or you're stupid or how could you believe that? Um, you know, that actually convinced them to change their mind or slowly over time allowed them to like disengage from that mindset and leave. And that, you know, like when we just won't engage with those people or, you know, when people are, especially like um, Megan Phelps Roper, like Twitter was the thing that got her out, right? Like she just started- Something like, good happening on Twitter, unheard of. <laughs> right, but that's what she said. Like she got on Twitter to like be Westboro's, you know, spokesperson or PR person and to like spread all their hateful messages. And then basically what happened was that you know, not all people, but some people would ask her questions and be like, well, why do you think that? And it was people that would like take time to engage with her and be like, okay, well, that makes sense. But what about this scripture that says the exact opposite of what you think that like started to make her see that there were holes in their logic and then started to make her question things. And then when she left, she had people on the outside that she could go to that were like, a you know, safety net. You know, and she was like, I understand when, like, we don't want Nazis on Twitter or we don't want, you know, like, negative things and we want to ban those people or block those people. But also, like, those people were me. And I would still be in it if people didn't show me love and didn't take the time to, like, get to know me. And she was like, my family isn't, you know, like, this evil, you know, they're not these evil people that people think they are. They've just been misguided for their entire lives. Yeah. And like our only chance of changing their minds and stopping the hate that they spread is to not hate them back and to try to like give them a chance to come out of that. And I think Tara has like a similar mindset where it's like, if we just dismiss them and are like, they're crazy, they don't matter, like whatever, then like that just reinforces for them that the outside world has nothing to offer them. Yeah. Um, 
And then they have to sort of like double down and commit even harder to those extremist beliefs yeah. because what is their other option? It becomes even more like us and them and like the them is like yeah. so different from us and they're so antagonistic on both sides, people yeah. feeling that. So I haven't, I haven't read the book. I, I need to, um, but I did listen to like a Ted talk that Megan, uh, is it Phelps Roper, yeah. um, gave, yeah. um, and she, I think as you kind of alluded to, like the silver lining and all of that is like, she was able to give kind of, um, a play by play for like how we approach the difficult times we are in. So like, I know you were talking yeah. earlier about like, it's like the current place we are in where it's like we have like the liberal elites and then we have middle America, we have Republicans, we have Democrats and no one's really talking. We're just talking over each other. There isn't really a dialogue. Yeah. Um, she kind of gave a play by play for how to navigate it. And some of the stuff you've already talked about, but like two of the things, one of the things was asking questions, as you said, and she talked about how like if you get into a place of asking questions, like people were asking her questions and then she slowly started to mirror that behavior and ask them questions and it allowed for a dialogue. Another thing that you kind of alluded to is coming into um, scenarios with people you disagree with um, and assuming either positive to neutral intent um, and like yeah. taking that at baseline so that you're less likely to get hurt or just write them off and can come at it from a place of just trying to understand like, okay, if I assume that they have a, like an okay mo a, a, like motive or even a positive motive, like, can we, can I understand where they're coming from better? Can we have a more fulfilling dialogue? Um, so yeah, I think, I think both, both books kind of had that message and it's interesting, like the family dynamic we were talking about, it's not that dissimilar from where we are as a country, right? We have- yeah a very charismatic, I hate to say charismatic because I do not personally find him charismatic, but yeah, someone that is very charismatic to half the country, um, mentally unstable man at the head of our country who is telling everyone that like, this is the way things are and certain people, you know, and these are the ways things need to be and certain people aren't questioning it or aren't even putting themselves yeah. in situations or, or places to have those questioning conversations. Um, and then on the flip side, yeah, you have your liberal elites of which I fall into that are probably doing the same thing and writing off like a huge section of the country. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to wrap that all up, but <laughs> other than to say, like, I, you know, and not, not to make this about Bernie Sanders, but I saw this and I'm no way endorsing Bernie Sanders, but I think he has these signs or shirts or whatever that say like, you know, like you should care about other people or like you should fight for other people or something. Right. And like, just, you know, I feel like for me, the takeaway from both books was like, you've got to, um, yeah, like you've got like in order to care, like you've got to care about people that aren't in your own from your same perspective, right? Or from your same background. Like you've got to learn how to care about people that, you know, 
maybe aren't relatable to you, right? Like I read this book, like I grew up with two sort of ex-hippie parents that were well-educated and like both worked and like the complete opposite of this situation, right? So like, was this book really relatable to me? No, like my, you know, like my parents were not like this at all. And my family didn't operate like that at all. But like, we have to like learn how to like find, you know, like find what's relatable in those stories, right? Like there were still characters in the book that I was like oh yeah like that's you know that's me or that's you know someone I know or whatever and like we have to learn how to like appreciate one another's unique perspectives and stories and like hear each other out and like help each other I, that's maybe kumbaya but no, like I think, I, I think it's absolutely correct and I think like at its heart that's what a good education is right it's like putting yourself in the path of new information new perspectives new experiences that can inform your view of the world, even, and putting yourself in spaces where maybe you disagree, but you can still learn from it and learn um, more about yourself in the process. Um, yeah, I would also say, like, obviously we've talked a lot about Educated, but for those of you that have not read the book, I would still very much encourage you to read it. Like, even if you know kind of like the major <laughs> plot points and where it's going, like, it is a truly, truly like gripping tale that I could not put down. And I think, I think it offers a really important perspective, especially in this uh, kind of current political climate. Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and then, you know, if coronavirus doesn't get us all, then <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, luckily, essential... we know a good essential oils company. Right, that's the essential oils will save us all. Um, all right, cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And again, like we're going to be, I'm not going to make any promises because like every time we say we're going to be official, then we're not, but like, just enjoy it when it comes out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. We promise not to make any promises. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we're so good at endings. Just... So good. Okay. I'm hitting end. <laughs>